What's up, Dolphins fans? This is Kyle Krabs of Locked on Dolphins. Tonight is Thursday, October 28th, 2021. And on today's show, we're going to be digging into the latest episode of Power to the Pod, which means it's the mailbag episode every week. You guys bring your most pressing questions, hot takes, topics about the Miami Dolphins, and sometimes not. And we dig into it all ahead of Thursday Night Football live here on the YouTube channel. And we make sure everybody on the podcast stream gets a chance to follow along on Friday as well. So with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and get after it here on this Thursday episode of Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Dolphins fans? This is Kyle Krabs, your host here on Locked on Dolphins, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com. I'm excited to hear from each and every one of you, those of you who are joining in on the live stream. It is great to see each and every one of you. For those who are listening on the Friday feed, it's great to have you as a part of your day with Locked on Dolphins. Thank you for making Locked on Dolphins your first listen for the Miami Dolphins uh, every day of the week, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Uh, proudly serving communities since 1965, McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's the unofficial community center of communities everywhere. Big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. We're loving it. So, power to the pot, which means whatever you guys want to talk about, whatever you want and need to hear some conversation about, that's what I'm here to do today is to, to kind of connect you guys to the rest of the fan base, to the rest of the listenership. And um, if you haven't had a chance, uh, I put together a, a pretty extensive piece uh, and you is mentioning it here and I'll, I'll go ahead and throw the comment up. Um, but I put together a pretty extensive piece over at the draftnetwork.com kind of laying out the pathway for how Tua Tungvaloa uh, can be the last man standing because as things are, are currently uh, progressing with this season, I think it's pretty clear that changes are going to have to be made in some capacity when the season reaches its final destination, which we can safely assume at this point is probably going to be after week 18. And uh, two is going to have a really interesting chance here to kind of change the narrative and most specifically uh, speak to the powers that be within the Dolphins organization with his play on the field. So you had asked, I read your article about how Tua can come out on top. It was a great article, but it really is a steep battle for him, huh? And it certainly feels that way, and it shouldn't be that way. And I think that's an important distinguishment to make. I had somebody call me a lazy journalist for acknowledging that this uh, storyline was even possibly going to lay out because it's only 13 starts for Tua. But that's not my opinion. That's that's what this the vibe has been that they have given off about their evaluation of Tua based on what they have not said more specifically and what reports have tied them to with the trade rumors for Deshaun Watson. So the Dolphins can't come out and say we're actively interested in exploring trading for Deshaun Watson, but it's not tampering for you to say we're not interested in so-and-so because there's no insinuation that there's any overextension of your means. No, and I even go back to thinking about what Matt, how Matt Rule gave an endorsement of Sam Darnold, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, when he was asked about the the rumors, and you compare and contrast that to the tone and messaging of what we've gotten from the Dolphins, 
And, you know, Stephen Ross, you know, at the owners meetings could have very easily said, we are not pursuing a trade for so-and-so. That's not tampering. They say, we're not interested. We like our quarterback. He kind of chuckled, says, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not touching it. Best of luck. God bless. And uh, um, so it that pathway for Tua kind of does feel like it, it, it's going to have to be him or it's going to have to be the other pieces of the hierarchy that, that answer to Stephen Ross, in my opinion. I think it would be grossly negligent for them to have allowed this to go have gone on for the duration that they have end up not making a move and bringing everybody back for 2022. That feels really hard for me personally to process right now. Ryan, with a great question. Does the drink of choice change with a win versus a loss? It's always bourbon. It's always bourbon. Uh, I do have some nice stuff that that's special occasion, and I was hoping it would be for a playoff win this year. Um, don't think that's going to happen. So uh, I do have a handful of things that I can tap into if I want to fancy it up. But generally speaking, it's whatever's in the in the liquor cabinet. <laughs> uh, let's see what questions. Alex wants to know if I think Flo is going to open up the offense against the Bills. And I'm glad you asked that because I am. I do have a recording schedule for Friday evening with Joe Rose for an additional show this week, but. Last season, when we were in the playoff push, there was uh, programming that was dedicated to how are we going to beat the opposing, uh, the upcoming opponent, and that really hasn't fallen into the schedule with the way that the season has unfolded and, and what everybody wants to hear us talk about. But if I'm the Dolphins and I know Buffalo came into the first game plan and their whole spiel was we're going to sit on the short stuff, we're going to blitz and pressure and dare them to throw the ball into super tight windows. Uh, and make fast decisions. I'm coming out, and the first thing I'm doing is like a slant bubble, play-action pass, not RPO, play-action pass type look, because I don't want them act the offensive line actively blocking it to run. I want them understanding this is going to be a pass. And that slant is a sluggo, and I am throwing to a spot. If I get aggressive tight coverage within eight yards, uh, I understand, you know, that that's going to be a reduced split. I'm going to take it to the field and I'm going to run slant bubble. And we're hoping that corner is going to jump down hard on that bubble, anticipating a quick throw. But really what I'm doing is I'm laying it up over the top and I'm trying to get up over top and throw it in the green grass and kind of send a message that, you know, we can make quick decisions, but we can threaten you vertically and throw two spots. So that's kind of how I would bring the first play into the fray for the Dolphins. I would not be afraid. I'm sure they'll probably try to run the football based off the success that they had running the football last week. And they should. You know, Buffalo is not an overly large front uh, defensively. But you have to earn their respect vertically, and that goes back to what we've always talked about this Dolphins plan seemed to be, which was they're going to pass to set up the run, and they're going to use the speed on the field to open things up and push that extra safety out and manufacture a little extra room. Josh with a question. I, the comments are flying through. So it's great to see so many of you in here ahead of Thursday night football on the YouTube channel locked on dolphins. We do it every Thursday night in a little group therapy session. Come on by, make sure you like the video, hit subscribe on the channel. So you get the notifications when we do go live. 
Josh wants to know, do you think this team values positional value too much? What good is it to be bad at two or three positions? Wouldn't it be better to be good at one, thinking on the offensive line? couple different thoughts here. I think especially when you think about the 2020 draft, I, I do think Miami's selections early on with Austin Jackson and Noah Benogany were positional value choices based on premium positions. Um, at some point, you got to draft good football players, right? And, and I think I've been watching this season unfold for Miami and thinking a lot about kind of the ideology that we've heard. This team's going to be a chameleon. They're going to take away your best strengths on any given week and make you do the things that you're not good at. And seeing how this season has unfolded and how this roster construction, and, and, and it's good in theory. Everything's good in theory. Everything's good on a whiteboard. But the teams that, that can kind of hit the ground running are the teams who year over year kind of know what they are. And they decide we're going to be something before we ask our team to be everything. You know, you hear in the draft process, oh, this guy really feels like a Pittsburgh Steeler. This guy feels like a Baltimore Raven. Although those kinds of teams have kinds of players because their identity has consistently been the same. And they've been able to maintain success in that fashion. Whereas Miami, this, you know, every coaching hire has kind of had a different ideology that they've tried to bring to the table. And this... One with Brian Flores coming from the Bill Belichick tree is kind of we want to be able to take matchups. We want to be able to match personnel. We want to evolve on a weekly basis and adjust to what you're doing. And if they make a change, and I'm not presuming anything is imminent, but if they make a change, I would love to see a coach come in who says, this is who we are. And we are going to dictate the pace by not forcing them to do other things, but by forcing them to adjust to us. And I, I think that's, um, that, you know, that, that sales pitch sounds good too. And I understand that that dynamic versus actual application in the game of football is not always easy. Um, but this, this question has kind of led me to that kind of thought that's kind of been lingering in my head for the course of uh, the, the, probably the past week or so, just kind of thinking about, how this season has evolved and and who the Dolphins are as a team and listening to some of the criticisms that exist out there for this offense specifically. And that it's like, it's there's, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason for what they're calling in any given stretch of the game or setting plays up by building off of looks with any level of consistency or, or thought process. Today's episode of locked on dolphins is brought to you by McDonald's proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for a study group, knowing they'll have dependable Wi-Fi and endless supplies, French fries, flurries. It's the place you'll always look forward to stopping at on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. McDonald's were loving it. Also loving a little sip of bourbon this evening. Kind of scrolling through getting caught up with some of the comments that you guys have dropped. Uh, I don't want to skip too many. Let's go with Wildcat Thompson real quick. 
in your personal opinion, who are the only players you keep on the roster if we do another rebuild? The reason I'm taking this question is because you know, we, we obviously did the series two weeks ago that was identifying who the long-term building blocks are, who are the unknown, continued unknowns that we need to continue to evaluate this season. I don't think Miami needs to undergo another rebuild. And I understand Dolphins fans here, potential GM change, potential head coaching change. And they are going to associate that with what a lot of these processes have looked like in the past. But uh, I, I do take into consideration the foundation here is pretty strong. When we went through and evaluated who are the players that you could probably consider to be in some fashion, in some role on the team, long-term building blocks for Miami, you can't, we came out with potentially up to 24 numbers, so almost half the roster. And this thing is young, and you do have a quarterback that uh, is fairly compelling right now, depending on what happens and what decision that you make uh, between now and potentially the trade deadline. And, and Lord help us if we get past the trade deadline and this thing's not resolved because it means it's going to just continue to linger in the background until at least mid-March. At least. Um, but I think we, we need to have um, – an understanding that this roster foundation, like I like the foundation of this roster. I don't like the implementation. I don't like the player development right now. I don't like the discipline. I don't like this, some of the schematics that you're seeing, but I do like the foundation of this roster, especially when you consider this team does have the most salary cap available to them of any team in the 2022 offseason. So I don't think you have to go all the way back to square one. I think that's what's going to make coaching interviews really important. GM interviews really important, assuming those things come into play for Miami at the end of the season. Um, is I want to hear the vision of candidates for any vacancies that the Dolphins have for what's already here. Because I don't want to start trade away draft picks from 2019 and stocking up on new draft picks and saying this is a three year rebuild. We're going to do this all over again. It shouldn't be that way. Think about the Cleveland Browns when they brought in Sashi Brown and Hugh Jackson, and then they fired Sashi Brown after two years, and then Hugh went the year after that, and then they made a coaching change, and John Dorsey was there, and he really loaded up the roster by building on what already existed, and now the Browns are in a position where you know they obviously have their question with the quarterback position, and Baker Mayfield's injured right now. They have one of the best running games in football. They have a really impressive offensive line, and it was a mix of free agent additions and draft selections and holdovers from the previous regime. So that's kind of my mentality on what a change in leadership for Miami should look like, is I want to know what they want to do with what we already have in position. Matt, question. How much stake do you put into a player needs to get into a groove? Uh, how can you expect our best players like Agba and Wilkins to play their best if they're consistently coming off? I definitely think there's some players that that do play like that. Uh, I understand the thought process in not trying to put players out there uh, to get gassed or, or put players out there in disadvantageous situations. Uh, but I think about guys like Agba and Wilkins specifically, who are the ones you mentioned. These are really well-rounded football players. They can play all play all all three downs uh, at a very high rate, and. Uh, that that's probably a critique that I do have is, is depending on game situation, uh, Miami does have so many different blitz packages and, and their five Oh group. And uh, everybody was wants to see more of the amoeba defense and guys jumping around and moving around. But like, 
a lot of that requires interchangeability and you got to swap guys in and swap guys out. And at some point it's like, like you said, man, I just want to see the best guys get as many snaps as possible and go out there and, and make this work. Uh, Miami sports fanatic show with a question, Kyle, is it me or is Duke Johnson a sneaky fit for our offense? Please your thoughts. Also give you give a special shout out to the Torrens brothers. You have all three of us hooked. Thanks for listening. Guys, it is always a pleasure to hear from Dolphins fans everywhere, even in the midst of this season going the way that it is. We got to stick together. We got to process what's happening. We got to form uh, educated opinions and challenge each other on them and have difficult conversations. And uh, that's how we're all going to better understand what is happening, why it's happening, and, and what we feel should happen and every fan has their own individual right for what that feels like so it's great to hear so many and see so many of you here on the live show on a thursday night ahead of thursday night football who are still engaged in this team and engaged in this process that we are undertaking to make sure we transition however we need to and we're ready for whatever the next chapter is for the dolphins after this season as far as duke johnson i like him as a pass catching back uh, quite a bit. He's been a nice little player in the NFL for quite a while. Um, I guess my question is, you know, how well is he going to fit into the protection schemes? Uh, he is somebody who I think you can move around a little bit more than, say, a Miles Gaskin or Savan Ahmed. Um, somebody who can play in the slot a little bit. He's a little bit more of a gadgety type player. So, uh, I'm going to try to temper my expectations for Duke Johnson. Obviously, he's fresh here. Wouldn't not wouldn't necessarily expect to see him right off the jump. Uh, I would expect potentially Jared Dokes, unless he's been slow to pick up the playbook as a rookie, and sometimes that's the case, and there's nothing wrong with that, like we heard with Tua Tagovailoa last year, not knowing the playbook really super well. So uh, we'll see who gets the call up to kind of compliment Savan Ahmed and Miles Gaskin this upcoming week. But I think Gaskin is kind of on a little bit of a heater where he's going to continue to, to get a predominant number of looks. Ohio, John. What do you think of Javon Holland being used as a punt returner last week? I thought punt returns would be a way to eventually get Noah on the field. And I'm a little worried about the lack of initiative or drive or interest to get Noah on the field because obviously his, his role on the active roster is going to be predicated around special teams contributions. And Javon Holland was, is a really good punt returner. And Jalen Waddle is a really good punt returner and kick returner based on their play at the college level. So I understand, I appreciate them trying to get a spark thereby giving a couple different guys, some looks. Um, I think Noah with his track speed is probably a better fit for the, kickoff return game and i don't know if they have enough faith and trust in him in that dynamic to make those decisions on when to field balls when not to field balls when to run them out uh because i guarantee you the first time that he's back there they're probably going to make a decision to hey this guy's a young guy he's had trouble making an impact on the team he's probably going to try and try to make something happen let's kick it two yards short of the end zone and, and let him run one out and see how he does with it and test him in that capacity so i would love for them to find some kind of implementation to build some confidence for noah beyond when your top two corners are out <laughs> but it doesn't seem like they seem to have too much of an appetite um 
to to find that role and make that role work. I'm glad this question was asked by its uh, Serge Campos. Anyway, we smooth things over with Tua and he sticks around. The team has done that man so dirty, Miami killing with what they're doing to Tua. So I've seen this on social media a number of times over the course of the past probably week. And it's like, why would Tua stick around in Miami, even if things do work out and he does become a successful quarterback in the NFL? I would say this. Guy's got a five-year rookie contract. He's in year two. Beyond that, you're also going to have the opportunity to potentially franchise tag any player who excels if you can't come to terms on a deal. We should be so lucky as to hope, based on the way things have gone thus far, that Miami stays committed to Tua and he becomes the kind of quarterback that you're compelled to use the franchise tag on. Because that means he becomes a very successful quarterback. And if he becomes a very successful quarterback, I would assume that's because the changes are made this offseason to put him in a position where he has the supporting cast, the coaching staff, the running game, healthy receivers around him to allow him to continue to grow and develop as a player. And if that all materializes, what happened four years ago when he's on the last year of his deal is going to seem like a distant memory. And there will be a lot of success that is filled in between then. And I would be stunned to see if all of that materializes hard um, ill will and hardship harbored for that long regarding what the 2021 season was, uh, which will probably would probably be in this kind of scenario, a head coach ago and multiple OCs ago and probably multiple blindside tackles ago. So um, I'm not too worried about if the things that we need to see get turned around are turned around and they do stay committed to Tua and he becomes successful. That's a a kind of a lamenting question is, oh man, like, is he going to remember this and and hold this against Miami and not want to be a part of this organization long-term? If he becomes the kind of player that you're worried about leaving, uh, I, I think Miami will have made the necessary changes preemptively and it will feel like a lifetime ago. Or at least I can hope that would be the case. Let's see. Man, you guys are filling them up. So David with a question. Since Greer's taken over in 2019, being that you're one of the draft dudes on the Draft Dudes podcast, uh, what players have we picked in rounds one through three that have been true head scratchers for you? Uh, so 2019 was Christian Wilkins, who I had as a top 25 grade. Michael Dieter, I had as a top 30 player. I really liked him as an interior offensive lineman. Uh, he's shown some promise this year at center. Um, he has underperformed versus what my expectations were in 2019, but I was really excited about the pick at the time. thought it was great value. 2020, Tua Tungvaloa, I had him ninth overall. I had him in the same tier of quarterbacks with Justin Herbert. Um, obviously the medical question there, but I, I don't deduct player rankings for medical questions. I, I don't have access to the medicals. I can't make an educated opinion there. So I, I simply tag that and acknowledge, Hey, this is a red flag and a risk. So I had those guys in the same tier. Uh, and I said at the time I was going to trust whatever quarterback they chose because I trusted the coaching staff from a player development standpoint, based on what we saw in 2019. Well, lo and behold, the, uh, the offensive coordinator, role is a, a black hole and 
you kind of get the vibe and, and there have been some really well-connected people, including Jeff Darlington that have alluded to that Brian Flores likes Tua, but Tua is not a ride or die guy for, for him. And as evidenced by uh, how we saw him handle Tua relative to Ryan Fitzpatrick down the stretch uh, in 2020, I would not be surprised if there's some legitimacy and some legs there. So I was anticipating whatever quarterback you're going to pick is the quarterback that your head coach is going to be ride or die with. And that kind of apprehension to get all the way in sync on that, I think, has has been a, a detriment uh, to that player development, which was what I was giving the coaching staff the benefit of the doubt of. Uh, Austin Jackson I had is a the 94th overall player in the class. Um, Noig Benogany had as a 57th overall player in the class. Robert Hunt I had as the 100th overall player in the class. Uh, Raekwon Davis, I had as the 42nd overall player in the class. So I like that value for them at 56 after we missed out on JK Dobbins. So I had as like a top grade that year. Um, and then this past year I had Jalen Wallace, a top five player. I had Jalen Phillips as a top eight player. So I liked both of those values. I had Javon Holland right around 50, I thought. So I thought it was appropriate value. I understood the need. And then Liam Eikenberg I had as, I think, like 42 or 43 or 44. So right around where he got drafted. So uh, that that kind of block of 18, 30, and, and 39 slash 40 in uh, 2020 is kind of the same block that I was really surprised by um, with, with that evaluation. Not that it really matters now. I wasn't evaluating the players through the scope that the Dolphins were. Uh, but you certainly look back with a little bit of buyer's remorse on the way that those decisions have gone. Roger, man. All right. What is with all the Phillips hype? Every time I'm watching, he's getting stood up and running plays down from behind. Am I missing something? Uh, I'm, I'm surprised how often they're putting Jalen out there as the blindside rusher. Uh, but his pressure rate is respectable for a rookie. Um, this is a defensive system that a lot of time predicates games up front and twisting or occupying and trying to manipulate an individual gap for another player to present themselves in late, whether that's a two-man game or two guys slant and the third guy loops around, or you get a delayed blitz from somewhere on the second level. So they don't really have a lot of the true go million miles an hour, get upfield. And I think that's an, a little bit of an acclimation window for Jalen Phillips. But I do know from a run stop perspective against the run, uh, he scored relatively well throughout the course of the first seven weeks of the season. Is he dominant? No. Is he defensive player of the year type candidate? No, but I think he's perfectly fine. I think he's continuing to show and uh, that he's really close in a lot of reps with just finishing his shed techniques and, and getting hands off his frame. And once he starts finishing that, that athleticism that he has, I think is really going to manifest itself. So he's been fine. Uh, if you were expecting a 15 sack a year guy in year one for Jalen Phillips, you're probably disappointed. Uh, but I would be surprised if anybody had those expectations uh, for Jalen Phillips right off the jump. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. 100% chocolate on all their bars. They got nine different delicious flavors for you to choose from. So whether you're looking for something that's a meal replacement, something to grab and go, midnight snack, put in the glove box, put in the lunchbox, put in the briefcase, you name it, Built Bar can be it. Right now, you can visit BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% 
off your next order. It's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. Here we go. So Cruz, Kyle, I think Miami should bring in Doug Peterson as the OC next year. Do you agree? Who are OC candidates that you're interested in? I think Doug Peterson, former head coach of the Eagles, is going to be a strong head coaching candidate. He left Philadelphia in part because there were some dynamics around that organization uh, with influence from Howie Roseman on the roster and got very messy. And he's a Super Bowl winning coach. He's off the Andy Reid tree. I wouldn't, he took a year off. I would not be surprised to see Doug Peterson be in demand this offseason. Uh, so I don't know if you're going to get him as an OC. But if the Dolphins make a head coaching change, Doug Peterson is one of the names that's very high up on my personal list of potential head coaching candidates. He runs an offense that implemented plenty of RPOs, um, but did them within reason, right? And it wasn't the sole identity of the offense. Uh, and they're also uh, an offense that Philadelphia has quite often implemented a lot of two tight end stuff, including predominantly a receiving tight end in Zach Ertz. You think about that with Mike Isecki, that potential implementation with Hunter Long as he takes a larger role in, in the offense moving forward. Uh, I think there's some fascinating uh, opportunities based on Doug Peterson's offensive uh, body of work with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, that might make him a really interesting head coaching candidate if that conversation comes down the line as necessary. Pat, big time question. Kyle, flag in the ground. Who is one prospect that you need Miami to take in the 2022 draft well it depends obviously on who's coaching the team who the assistant staff looks like what the the system that they're trying to implement looks like but i could tell you and i think it was dante colonelli sent this out this morning and or this afternoon and i responded to it from the locked on fins account and it was uh the linebacker group for the dolphins is the most disappointing position group for me on the defensive side of the ball Offensive side of the ball, obviously the offensive line, but I'm investing in known assets on the offensive line. And there's some big picture conversations I'm looking forward to us having about how the Dolphins can build that unit up with known assets and commodities at the NFL level. But the linebacker group is nobody's really effective in coverage. Nobody's getting off blocks. The tackling is poor overall. The instincts aren't really there. There's not a lot of uh, pop and ferociousness in that group right now. And I think of Penn State linebacker Brandon Smith. Uh, this guy's like a 6'4, 235 pound, 240 pound linebacker who, uh, in the run up to uh, his career at Penn State, when he was going through, I think it was Nike's the opening uh, recruiting process, he, he ran a verified 4'3 electronic time. And he's long and he's physical. And if you guys watched Justin Fields at all at Ohio State, uh, he was a guy who routinely took body blows and big shots, and he was such a, a dense build at the quarterback position that he would just absorb those hits and guys would bounce off him. Brandon Smith from Penn State, second half of a game against Ohio State, came up on a blitz and ran through Justin Fields like he was Pat White and cleaned his clock. 
And that was the big hit for me that was like, wow, this guy's explosive. Penn State runs a lot of cover three. There's a lot of flat zone drops for him. And his transitions to be able to drive and attack the line of scrimmage from zone coverage are really interesting to me. And you contrast that with what we're seeing right now from Andrew Van Ginkle, uh, who they've been trying to use in more zone coverage and kind of cover the shallow areas in the perimeter, and it's not working particularly well. Brandon Smith, linebacker from Penn State, I think would be a tailor-made fit for the existing infrastructure that exists on this team right now. Let's see. want to make sure I get a couple extra questions before I flip the switch. Here you go. Here's a good one. Uh, AD, Kyle, Mike Kosecki in the Pro Bowl this year. Certainly on pace. If he finishes with 1,000 yards, it's going to be one hell of a season for Mike. And I think we should all be proud of uh, the growth that Mike Kosecki has shown as a player. I think we should all be really encouraged by his leadership, the energy that he brings. And he's leaving no doubt that he needs to be back. Because whether it's this regime, uh, there's an existing chemistry with Tua, or a new regime that's going to want as many quality pass catchers as possible, Mike is proving he's like that dude for this team. And uh, the fact that he's getting fed the football at the rate that he is and that chemistry has kind of been reignited with Tua, I'm excited to see what the rest of the season looks like. If he continues the pace that he's on, and I think he's on pace for 1,000 yards, yes, he should be in the Pro Bowl. No questions asked. And I know that's a tough task because you got Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey, and I don't think either one of those guys could be playing in the Super Bowl this year. Troy. What is the best thing the defense can do to stop the Bills? Turnovers? A lot of them? Like three plus? Uh, the, the Bills before this past game uh, had forced 15 turnovers in four games. Uh, and, and that was before they played the Titans and lost before their bye week this past week. So they, they are turning the ball over to very high clips. So to counteract that, you're going to have to get a lot of turnovers. And, and that's something Miami has not had a lot of fortunes with to this point in time. Uh, but we'll see what what comes of that. Uh, Kyle, would you rather see Kinley, Solomon Kinley, or Austin Jackson getting reps at left guard? Wouldn't Kinley help our run game a bit more? Yes, he would. And I'd also argue with uh, a better left tackle next to him in Austin or in Liam Eikenberg than Austin Jackson, I think he'd probably help the passing game too. Uh, Duke Mannyweather's a, a great personality in the offensive line field. He he talked and reaffirmed after some of the clips came out of Austin getting some whiffs in there. And, and you know, his opinion is moving him inside isn't going to fix his problems. It's going to accentuate his problems. And that falls uh, really close to in line with what our observations have been here on this show regarding uh, Austin's technical issues and uh, where he needs to get better. And moving that inside is just going to make that worse because if you can't strike and land and sustain at first contact, uh, that defender has a shorter distance to go to get to your quarterback. Phil Quinn. How would you like to, who would you like to see replace Chris Greer? That is content for down the road. That's a great question though. And I do have a short list. I have a short list of 10 names at the GM spot. And I have a short list of 10 names for head coach, uh, but I don't want to get too far into that uh, until we know for sure that this season is a complete and total disaster. And that's the, <laughs> that's the route that they're going to have to take. I uh, want to make sure I shout out a couple of iTunes reviews for the show as well. This is always a staple for Power to the Pod, and then we got to run out of here because Thursday Night Football is getting ready to kick. Uh, so Ish, with a five-star review, 
sure you're getting a ton of Deshaun Watson questions. And I'm sure you don't want to, want to answer them, but I'll take my shot here. Why does Watson want to come to play in Miami? I don't remember seeing why he wants to play in Miami. Thanks again. I don't have an answer for this, um, but it, it's been reported from a number of places that the only place that he is willing at this point in time to trade his no trade, waive his no trade clause for is the Dolphins. I don't know if it's the weather, the lack of state income tax when you're about to get paid $35 million, assuming you're available to play football. Uh, I don't, I've seen everybody's seen the picture of him in the Dan Marino t shirt. I don't know if there's something there or, or wanting to be the heir to Dan Marino. I have no idea. Uh, I don't have an answer there. And I've also seen a number of comments from both folks on Twitter and in the chat uh, about if Miami does end up making this move for Watson, how they're not sure how they're going to uh, continue to process being a fan of this team. And to which I say, I, I hear you guys. I'm sure the team hears that as well. Um, and you have every right to react to that decision if it's made however you choose to react to it. And I, for one, will respect it. Uh, Finkel is Einhorn, 13. With our personnel, I think we're running the wrong kind of defense. More of a classic 4-3 instead of our hybrid scheme full of linebackers who can't cover would not let us get exploited as much. Van Ginkle at this point looks like a straight edge instead of a linebacker. I think you are dead on there, man. If you take away his coverage metrics, he's been a, a top 10 edge player versus the run and pass. Some combination of Agba, Van Ginkle, Phillips, Wilkins, Sealer, and passing situations on more classic running downs. You can put Raekwon or Jenkins in the middle and maybe even Sealer on the edge. So that would be like if you run like an under front and you need kind of that uh, defensive end, that base end, who's going to have a, I think they call it a Leo, who's walked up outside of him. That would be like the, the sealer role. Uh, I think having a simpler four-man front would allow us to get more consistent pressure while allowing Baker to play in a scheme he's more suited to. I think Gus Bradley really taught Dolphins fans something earlier this year. It doesn't have to be fancy, just have to work. work. Do you see the benefits of making this type of switch and would you encourage this type of switch? I think you can relatively easy make the switch to an even front defense. Um, I think Wilkins is athletic enough to play the three if you were to really encourage him to get penetration more often. That's the biggest block in that evaluation is not knowing which of these off, uh, defensive linemen who are literally encouraged to sit at the line of scrimmage, control your gaps, occupy your space, let the linebackers fill, do your 111th, uh, and not go create plays. Instead, just do your job and the play is going to take care of itself. A lot of these, the the, the base 4-3 fronts or the four-man fronts, if you're going to run nickel behind it with just two linebackers on the field, um, a lot of times they, they give those guys an assignment and they go attack the mesh point and create more chaos. And, and that's kind of the gap in that evaluation. But I do generally think that a switch to an even front defense can be made relatively quickly. Uh, free agent red flags and morale. From Cody B. Kyle, huge fan of the show. Make this my first listen every day. Last week, you discussed building blocks, and I want Tua Waddle and Gasecki to be our guys on offense for years to come. However, if we do see a trade for Deshaun Watson, do you think that the way we've cycled through newcomers on this team the last couple of offseason might be a concern for free agents? For example, we burned through guys like Van Noy, Lawson, McKinney. If we got rid of Tua for Watson, he would be included on this list. Am I overthinking this, or is this a real issue moving forward? 
if we continue continue to burn bridges. Yeah, I think I there's a part of me that feels like to some degree you 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 saw a little bit of that apprehension with Miami's offensive coordinator search, uh, with how quickly they've burned through assistant coaches, and how hard that search was. Uh, it was kind of like they kept it mum the entire time, kind of just went through the process, got to the senior bowl. Oh, yeah, we're going to give each one of these guys. We're almost going to treat like an audition, and you get through it. And it's like, yeah, they're both going to get the job. You get a second-year quarterback you're trying to build around. So I think it. I think it's probably manifested itself more on the coaching side of things than the player personnel side of things right now because if you're going to build through free agency, those guys are signing for financials nine times out of ten anyway because you get into the bidding war process. Uh, Leo Finn, five-star review, title's very disappointing. <laughs> Great show after the Atlanta game, painful but very informative. Thank you for your objective analysis on the Waddle situation. Agree the team is a mess. No running game, bad offensive line, terrible wide receiver drops. No running game defense, inconsistent passing defense, and the coaches are not helping two or the team. After, here's the question. We'll get this thing back on track. After getting a real OC, what position is most important to draft or get as a free agent to start the resurrection? That's a great question. The most important position. I think a, a, an offensive, a veteran offensive tackle, and the free agent crop is not promising. Um, but, but I think you, you need a known commodity to fill one of those either either the center spot or the offense or the right to potentially the right tackle spot. Because I, I I think we do need to get the running game going like big time. We need to really embrace the idea of running the football. I do not want to be a team that passes to set up the run. I want to be able to reset the line of scrimmage, have that attitude, be able to lean on that with a young quarterback, and then eventually let him develop into creating more plays and segueing into that identity. Here's what I'll leave you guys with. This is, there's a bunch more reviews and I'll try to pull a couple in tomorrow if I can, when I record with Joe Rose, but I think about the evolution of two guys, Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. When both of those guys first came into the league, they were in very run heavy offenses, Dak with Ezekiel Elliott, Russ with Marshawn Lynch, they had strong defenses, but they had really good rush offenses. And they started as game manager types of quarterbacks. And I know everybody turns their nose up at that phrase and, oh, you don't want a game manager, it's limited. But look at the evolution that both of those players have had over the course of like a three, four, five-year stretch where they have become the centerpieces, the focal points but they were allowed to have success early on and they showed the potential that they could grow into to be unquestioned franchise quarterbacks because they were given opportunities to make splash plays, but they weren't asked to do everything all the time. And I think for Tua, he's being asked to do so much right now to cover. So if you are going to remain committed to Tua Tungvaloa, I definitely think that, that you need to not ask him to be everything right away. It's already hard enough to play in the shadow of Dan Marino. Get this man a running game. Ask him to make big plays in big moments. Show him that clutch gene and then let him grow into being the franchise quarterback everybody wants him to be. Uh, because Dan Marino is one of one. And if you're on the hunt for the next Dan, you're always going to be disappointed.
That is going to do it for us here on the show, Locked On Dolphins. Hope you guys enjoyed. We went long this week, but we had a lot of you guys that took the trip with us. We are always appreciative to see you uh, in the comments, watching on the YouTube stream, Locked On Dolphins, or subscribing to the podcast. Your team every day fins up. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. Make it a good one. Talk with you guys again tomorrow.